Listener Production. Abby Chatfield went from ditzy girl next door. What do you do? Uh, I'm an uh, astrophysicist. Okay, I'm a Gemini. To sexy villain. He said that someone told him that I'm only in this for my social media profile. To social media hero. But I'm also accepting TikTok applications and videos. All in the course of one season of The Bachelor. Following her television debut, Abby copped relentless public criticism and she even fielded death threats. Not one to take backlash lying down or to let other people define her, Abby refused to retire quietly from the reality television spotlight. She's since been a part of Bachelor in Paradise and was the winner of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. The winner of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here for 2021 is... It's It's Abby! Only 25 years old, Abby has amassed a huge social media following in the last two years that she's been a part of our Instagram world. Her message is one of self-acceptance, anti-bullying, body and sex positivity. She's got a podcast of her own and a vibrator named after her. We even got that, turned this up and we got the Abby. I love her. Next, I'll be joined by Tate McGregor for The Weekend List where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to But first, here's my chat with the bubbly, vivacious and not at all villainous Abby Chatfield. Abby Chatfield, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. It is so lovely to see your happy, smiling face. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for for having me to The Weekend Briefing. My friend, I can't help myself. Um, We need to start by talking Bachelor, partly because that's where Australia first got to know you. But it's also where I first got to know you. I watched that season with enormous rage at how you were being portrayed. What was more personally upsetting, being portrayed as ditzy or being portrayed as the villain when you were clearly neither? Oh, my God, that's actually a really good question because both were equally infuriating. I think the fact that I was portrayed as a villain because I was sexual, that was, like, the big thing that made me angry because it wasn't – I mean, obviously the editing did my head in and was an absolute punish, but it was mainly just the reaction to the edit. I mean, the editing did make me look, quote-unquote, cocky, but even then that doesn't make me deserve death threats. Even Even if everything was accurate, I'm like, why are you all so mad? Like. It's like I'm killing a live animal on TV. All that goes hand in hand with that desire for a one-dimensional character on reality TV. Like if you're if you're slutty, quotation marks, if you're slutty, you have to be dumb and up yourself and just after fame or money or anything. You can't be you can't be slutty and also be intelligent, be actually after love. Like there's this weird thing where you're not you're not worthy of love if you enjoy sex, despite the fact that I mean isn't one of the big defining factors of a romantic relationship, any kind of sexual moments, you know what I mean? I think it is for a whole lot of people, right? The idea that you weren't allowed to talk about that part of desiring love publicly without being boxed Mm. in is really insulting to a whole bunch of women. Tell us about what it was like being on set. Did you have a sense when you were on set that your storyline was being written for you and not by you? There was this narrative going around at the time that I, like, applied the show and it was all part of my conspiracy plan. I was like, I haven't watched this show before. I applied as a joke and now I'm on and it was very well windy. So 
when I was when we were recording, I thought that I was going to be the sort because I would cry every single day. I would because the girls were I'm going to say it bullying me, and my only friends were the crew. So I would just cry to the crew all the time. I'd cry in every interview. There were some boxies that we do where I had to stop recording because I was sobbing that loudly. So I thought that I was going to be the sook. And then when I was the the villain, I was like, but but I was bullied. And then it kind of, I realised that it was because they had so much footage of all the girls hating me. If you watch it back and you try to figure out what the reason is, they, they dislike me, what, what, I, what I write about, what I'm manipulating, it's not very clear. Like it's like you don't know what there is there. So no, I didn't I didn't know. I just I thought that I'd be the sook and I was embarrassed. That's why I didn't cry after I got dumped. Because I was like, I don't want to be the sook. But they didn't show me crying once. I was emotionless apparently. What's the percentage split, do you reckon, of the proportion who are there to get famous and the proportion that are genuinely there because they think it'll be a lot of fun and they might find someone they like? I do think everyone that goes on these shows has a part of them that thinks it'll be fun and they might find someone they like. Despite the fact that I've been no trolled mercilessly, I think very few people are pure assholes. So I think that honestly, probably everyone had a little bit of hope and everyone wants to be a bit romantic no matter how you know hard and tough they are. Like people like Rachel in my season, like came across as very like harsh and like didn't care and was there as kind of a joke. But like, I know that she is looking for love and she would have liked to have found someone that she fell in love with there, but he just wasn't a guy. So she was like, you know, F it. I'm just going to have fun with this and make this a bit of a joke. And it was entertaining to watch. And then on the other hand, I do think anyone that's applied, that applies for a TV show isn't exactly fame averse. I think the issue comes when we do point fingers at people and say they're just here for fame. They're just here for love. And I think if you're either one of those extremes, there's something a bit wrong. Like, I think if you're on Bachelor purely for love, I mean, we're a bit naive. Go elsewhere, we? love. <laughs> like, come on, but like, there is, like, I, like, just to give people an idea of like how when people say, I'm here just for love, that's when I get red flags being like, oh no, you're the one that's here for fame because, or we need to go to therapy with our attachment style because I feel like, it's the idea, you film for three months. You finish, you're under contract for three months and then the show was airing. So the whole year, you can't date. You can't yeah. contractually yeah. date publicly, right? Then you finish and you can't really meet anyone. Everyone that you meet asks about the show. You get nervous, you get insecure because like with my edit, I thought everyone hated me. Then that's why you go on Bachelor in Paradise because you're like, well, everyone there will understand me. Then you're under contract again. So I'm under contract. I couldn't go on dating apps until August last year from January 2019. So I had 18 months where I wasn't allowed to legally publicly date, like contractually publicly date. When you were like so, 23, 24, like when, when that's all you want to be doing. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, I was doing it, but I, I, that's why I got back with my exes and why I was like dating people that I knew because I was like, they're not going to tell anyone because, you know, yeah. they've been seeking me since I was 19. They don't care. They don't care that they're seeking with a girl from The Bachelor. Uh, but yeah, I think anyone that says they're there for love is either very naive or is like, sociopath vibes like is really playing a game here so after bachelor finished abby and then you go straight into bachelor in paradise Mm. you were incredibly brave during that period because you didn't lie down and kind of take or accept this public persona that had been thrust on you you really took Mm. charge of your own narrative was that an easy decision to make or was there part of you that kind of wanted to hide away from it all I don't think it even was a decision because I think that 
I naturally, as I'm sure everyone, anyone who follows me knows, I naturally just speak my mind all the time and I always have had trouble biting my tongue. So, I mean, when I was given opportunities like to write articles about my experience with The Bachelor or be on podcasts, I just told the truth and it was just, it was a reality situation. I think that it wasn't really me fighting back or trying to prove my narrative wrong. It was more me trying to question the perception of what my narrative was. And what um, do you think that was? What my narrative was. Yeah. Was it a sexist uh, well, it narrative? Was like, what was it the, at yeah. the root of it? I mean, the patriarchy is the root of all my issues. So obviously uh, the, the idea that because I was um, sexual and confident, that made me a bad person, not, not, not deserving of love, disingenuous. It's like women can only be good at one thing. And I think that my one thing that I was good at was having tips being conventionally attractive and, um, you know, liking sex. That was my like thing that I was like, seducing, you know, that was my one skill that I had. Um, so I think I wanted to question that narrative about whether women can be more than one thing. I don't know how many times you've heard people say she's pretty and smart. As oh, my it's God. Like, and funny. And it's like, yeah, women are funny and smart. I mean, I don't know any women that I would meet that I've been like, wow, and she's pretty and smart. Like all women that I know that in my life I think are funny, smart, kind, and beautiful. And, and how they look or how, how many people they sleep with is like very beside the point. And also everyone already hated me. So like if I just spoke about my truth in interviews, like – what was going to happen? I was going to get trolled. Had already been happening for six months. Didn't matter. Is it true that you received a death threat? Mm. I've gotten lots of death threats. Um, I've gotten lots of threats of violence saying, if I see you, I'll, I'll punch you. I want to punch you through the screen sending me knife emojis like <laughs> very weird worst one though was maybe like a year ago I think before just before COVID hit so it was about eight months after The Bachelor and someone sent me a voice note saying that if they see me they'll strangle me to death and there were lots of swear words in there and I live alone so it was me living alone in my apartment and I'd been packed out the front of my house like there were a couple of days before that and that's like an iconic building in Brisbane where I used to live so everyone knew which building I lived in and I got death threat and that was awful. I mean, but I called the cops and they couldn't do anything. Yeah. Even now when people come and drop things off my apartment, I have this thing where I'm like, oh, I wish I had a little uh, peephole so I could see who was at my door. Like, cause, oh, if they have like a weapon. It's a daily fear thing now because people yeah. do really hate me. You really should not have to live with that kind of fear when you are <laughs> at home in a place that should be your sanctuary and should be just for you. And it it, mm. it it almost seems bizarre to me that we start by talking about what is supposed to be a television show that's light entertainment for people sitting at home. And yet for you, Ugh. there's these really serious implications for your life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's two years since we were filming. Yeah, it's still, in fact, it only gets worse. And the issue is as well, and this is conversations I have with my psychologist, is like the bigger my profile gets, the more successful my career is. But the bigger my profile gets, the more these stresses will increase. After The Bachelor, I'd been on one show, I had about 70,000 followers. I could have just gone back to my normal life, but I just kept getting opportunities and I kept taking them. And now I have like 256,000 followers. I've won I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of I've been on another show. And it's like, that's great. And that's one of my career. I had a podcast as well and I'm writing a book. There's all these things that are keeping me in the spotlight. But being in the spotlight isn't a necessarily enjoyable thing. It's kind of just, it's a negative of having the career that I want to have. You've mentioned a couple of times that your 
someone who's overtly sexual and comfortable with their sexuality and happy to talk about it and happy to have conversations about sex that I think a lot of women feel like they can't have in public, what Mm. do you think gives you that internal sense of permission where you go, no, I'm talking about this? So my girlfriends that I've had for a very long time and maybe not necessarily from high school, but my current really close girlfriends that I've had for like almost a decade now, this isn't crazy for us to talk about. Literally before I was in that show, we would like, like, what's, what's your new vibrator? Like, this is not strange for me or my friends. And I think that I know if I've just hit the jackpot with my girlfriends in that we talk about these things so openly and don't care. And perhaps I'm more vocal about it and have less of a filter. I think that's why I speak about it so much and so openly, maybe not because it's been difficult for me because I know it's difficult for others and doesn't compute for me. So I'm like, if we just keep talking about it, it'll become more normal. Yeah. And yet so many women, I think, still feel quite ashamed for Mm. wanting and liking sex. Like there, there is, I would struggle to get beyond one hand counting of women in the public eye who speak openly about their sex lives. Even a lot of my um, my friends who are, you know, are influencers, when I, I did my vibrator launch, I sent them to them and they were like, I'm so sorry, I can't post about this, you know. And that's really fun. I was like, that's totally fine, babe. Like, I'm literally skipping it to you so you can enjoy it. Like, in my friend, it's not so you have to post. But it was interesting to me the amount of people who I know who have huge platforms or reasonably big platforms in Australia and would not even post a box of a vibrator. So give it to me now. Sell it to me. How did the partnership come about? What is special about what you're trying to do with the sex toys that you're creating? And it's, there's a lot of orange. There's a lot of orange. There's happening. a lot of orange. We're very orange. So uh, the Abby X Bush vibrator. So we uh, Bush approached me to do a collab over a year ago now. This is like before COVID. Like it was so. It feels like forever ago. And they wanted to do an internal vibrator. So we basically had this G spot vibrator. We love her. I changed the design around. I made the shaft longer. So when you're masturbating, you don't get weird cramps in your fingers. It's also an external vibrator. So you can use it externally, internally. You can turn it off, use it as a dildo. The reason why it's orange, it was because um, a lot of bushes and a lot of vibrators in general, are they're, they're pink or they're black, like sexy, like for the male gaze, sexy, or they're pink, like hyper feminine. But I wanted to have something that was more gender inclusive and wasn't necessarily targeted towards women as being a pink cute vibrator. It sounds to me like in all aspects of your life you're not a fan of stereotypes. No. One of the things I've noticed is that you talk a lot about body positivity on your Instagram, on your social media and on your podcast. Mm. Is that about breaking stereotypes for you and what are you trying to tell that audience? It's a really good question. I mean I think what we're trying to lean towards now is more body neutrality and being like this is literally how I look and I need to work out to enjoy my body, not to change how it looks. I need to eat what I want to eat to nourish my body, not to change the way it looks, to change the way that people perceive me. Um, And I think it's more I want to encourage people to accept their bodies as they are and realise their worth doesn't derive from how their bodies look. Abby Chatfield, thanks for being on The Weekend Briefing. Thanks for having me. Let me chat to you. That's it for my conversation with Abby Chatfield. You can find and follow her on all the socials. Next up, The Weekend List with Tate McGregor. It is Weekend List time where we tell you what to see, watch, do, read, whatever it might be. We keep you busy. Welcome to Tate McGregor. You've got a podcast for us. 
I have to recommend Abby Chatfield's podcast, It's a Lot with Abby Chatfield. Jamila, it's essentially just listening to your girlfriends chatting with a glass of wine. Abby invites guests in and she pours them a glass of bubbly and they talk about what's going on in their lives. So it's a really good insight into Abby if you want to know more. She discusses mental health, social media, her dating life, and just rants about what's going on in her world. And she also has some really interesting guests, such as Peach PRC, who is a TikTok star blowing up at the moment. And they talk about borderline personality disorder, sexuality, and it's a very enlightening chat. And I would 100% recommend that episode along with all of the others. But Jamila, what's a book we should read? You're always really good with your book suggestions. This week I have been devouring a book from my old boss. So in a previous life, before I was doing any podcasting, I worked in politics in Canberra. And for a few years, I worked for a minister called Kate Ellis. You might remember Kate's name from her being on your television screen, talking about childcare or employment, but she was also one of the youngest women ever elected to the federal parliament. And there's no other way to put it. Kate was and is really beautiful by our kind of everyday standards of what a beautiful woman is. And that's unusual in the corridors of power in Canberra. But it meant that Kate received some horrendously sexist treatment and she put up with catcalling and toxic bullshit in Canberra for a really long time. And since she's left politics, she's realised that it wasn't just her that went through this. So in this new book that she's written called Sex, Lies and Question Time, she talks to women from across Australian politics. She talks to Julia Gillard, Julie Bishop, Linda Burney, Penny Wong, Sarah Hansen-Young and Pauline Hanson. And she talks to them about sexism, motherhood, appearance, social media and the sisterhood and, of course, sex. And given what we've been seeing in the news the last, oh, it's like eight weeks now, right? Um, I think it's particularly the moment to be reading this book. But after saying that, we need something lighter tape, lighten it up. I've got some music for you, which is kind of in the same vein as women taking control. Taylor Swift has released her re-recorded album of Fearless yesterday. And if you're wondering why did she re-record this whole album, well, Taylor's been in sort of a bind. Her music was sold by her former label, Big Machine Records, to a guy called Scooter Braun, who's known as a bit of a bully in the industry, specifically to Taylor Swift. And then he sold her masters, music videos and album artworks onto a private equity firm, meaning that they have control over the first six Swift albums. If you don't know what this means, basically, master recordings earn the revenue through streaming services, and if you would ever hear her songs on television, movies, commercials, they're making money. So Taylor Swift is re-recording all of her first six albums to put them in direct competition with these original masters so that she can get a decent cut of her music and the people that had nothing to do with her career aren't profiting from it. So, Fearless. It's the album that won her her first Grammy for Album of the Year back in 2010. It has songs like Love Story, 15, You Belong With Me. It's an excellent album. So if you have any of those songs in your playlists, I would champion you to go and replace them with these new re-recorded Taylor's versions. Go stream Taylor Swift's Fearless re-recorded album. 
If you have recommendations on what to see, do, listen to, cook, another podcast, we want to know about it. Hit us up in our DMs on Instagram at The Briefing Podcast. Or hey, mix it up. Tell us what you're doing, the events you're going to, or the things that you're cooking, whatever you've got. What's in the kitchen? I'm getting hungry over here. I want some more food. That's it for today's weekend briefing. We'll be back on Monday morning from 6am with Tom and Annika, who will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.